But uh, I get the privilege of sharing God's word this morning. And it seems kind of crazy, but we're actually going to go backwards a little bit. And we're going to go back to June. Anybody remember June 2019? It's a really long time ago. Uh, in June, we were just getting to the end of a series that we called Future Hope. And we had spent a few months working through First and Second Peter. Does anybody remember that? And if you remember, uh, at the end of June, we actually got one week away from the end of Second Peter, and then we went into uh, uh, the Family Sunday and then the uh, Voices series. And so we're going to back up to the end of June, and we're going to wrap up Second Peter this morning. And so if you guys would turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 10 through 18. I know it seems kind of weird to go backwards like this and just finish up this section, but how many of you guys know that sometimes it's kind of good to take a break and go back to something because you kind of get stuck in a rhythm and it kind of becomes habit and you sort of begin to tune my voice out every week. And uh, this morning you get to hear my voice again, but we're going to go backwards and then pick up and hopefully remind ourselves of some of the highlights of First and Second Peter, things that Peter was sharing. Uh, so... I want to do a quick recap before we dive in, but if you guys would maybe grab the hand of the person to your right and to your left, can we pray and just ask Jesus to have his way here this morning? Uh, Lord, we come before you and we love you, Jesus. We desire nothing less than to honor your name this morning. Uh, God, we want your word to be proclaimed and you to move miraculously through it. God, I pray for each individual in this room today. Lord, may we not sit here stagnant and stale. May we be soft, people with soft hearts, um, Lord, willing and able, God, that are presenting themselves before you this morning and say, have your way with us, Jesus. Would you move in our hearts this morning, God? Would you take your word and plant it deep into our hearts? God, I pray for those in this room that showed up here this morning that are maybe on the verge and they're just at a season in life where it's like they're looking for something, they're grasping for straws and they don't know where to turn and what to look for. But this morning, Jesus, would you meet them in this place? This morning, God, I pray for those in this room that call themselves followers of Jesus, that there would be a stirring up within us, God. There would be a shaking of sorts as we read your word and we're challenged by what it says. God, would we not leave here the same as we came this morning, God? And so I pray for your anointing, that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us in our midst this morning, God, and change us. In your name we pray, amen. Are you guys with me this morning? Okay, it's okay to be a little charismatic. I want to thank uh, Taylor for just setting the stage for me this morning. Amen, amen. Okay, so I want to do a real quick recap of what we've studied in First and Second Peter. Um, who is this book written by? Very good. You guys learned so much in three months. I'm so proud of you. Uh, and this book, the, these two books were written by Peter uh, to a group of people that were both Jews and Gentiles. He was writing it to this church, um, th th this group of people that was being persecuted. And if you remember back in 1 Peter 1, he actually refers to them as aliens that were scattered out these, throughout these regions in Asia Minor, so what is modern-day Turkey. These people are scattered out, and they're actually facing persecution for taking a stand for Jesus. Um, much like uh, when, when Jesus says to be in the world but not of the world, I want you to think about Peter writing to these believers that were immersed in a culture that disliked them. 
um, immersed in a culture that hated what it is that they stood for, that hated the way that they lived their lives. They were immersed in a culture that thought they were, that, that they believed, what they believed is truth, Jesus and him crucified, was complete foolishness. And, and the, the culture today is sort of turning tides and it's turning the same direction where you can actually be a Christian today and actually face somewhat persecution in America for taking a stand for Jesus. It was interesting, I, I was even um, in this last week, had made a phone call in reference to something that we were trying to uh, attain for the church. And the minute I mentioned that this was on the behalf of a church, this lady was like, whoa, you're with a church? And it was like, immediately stopped. And, it, and then it was like, I, I don't know if I, I want a church in here. And it was a really interesting turn, and I thought to myself, man, 30 years ago, I can remember a day and time when that sort of, like, I know that's minor persecution that we would face in America, but that didn't exist. Uh, I know some of our community groups had went downtown last week and did this prayer walk one night, and as I was hearing stories of people they were coming to contact with, that they were just saying, can we pray for you? And people were like, absolutely not. Like, I remember a day and age in my lifetime when that wasn't the case, that people would actually, whether they believed or not, would be receptive to somebody even praying for them. And that's just not the day and age we live in today. And so in First Peter, um, Peter, just to highlight real quick, Peter speaks mostly of persecution and, and the importance of believers bearing up under unjust suffering, yet continuing to live well. Uh, and continuing to live these holy lives amidst suffering. And Peter writes this letter to encourage the believers to continue on in the way of Jesus. And, P and Peter continues to point the church, these people, to Christ uh, as the only source of hope, as the only source of joy. And he reiterates the value of their suffering, that it's worth it, and that they're relating to Christ himself in the midst of their suffering, that there's purpose even in suffering. And unjust suffering and unseen suffering are probably one of the greatest problems that grip the hearts of people today. People are captivated by this. And we often struggle with frustration and with anger and uncertainty when trials land on our doorsteps, when, they, when we face trials in our own lives. And too often, uh, in those most difficult moments in your life, when you face trials and you face suffering, what happens? Confusion reigns and contentment wanes in our life, right? Questions arise and then prayer subsides. And we, we, we push Jesus to the back burner because we don't understand the, the purpose and suffering, how to relate to Jesus in the midst of it. And so we ended First Peter here with this question that I think could be asked of us in light of what we read. How do you react when suffering comes your way? And I ask you that sincerely this morning. How do you react when suffering comes your way in your life? Because many people actually crumble at the mere thought of pain or trial in their life. They do whatever they can to get away from it. However, there's also others who rise to the occasion when suffering enters their life. It's like they thrive off of it. But most of us in this room probably lie somewhere in the middle, somewhere in between. And Peter's encouragement to his Christian readers is, is one of perseverance in faith. Isn't it enough for us to simply, it's not enough for us to simply get up every morning and, and just trudge through our day and just get by and exist. 
And it's not advisable for us to just paste a smile on our face and act as though everything's okay and ignore the troubles in our life, but yet that's often what we do. But, but in 1 Peter, there's this challenge to push through the troubles and recognize that, that, their, that their temporary presence in our lives is actually leading us to holiness. It's, it's actually leading us towards hope as a people of faith. But, but there's a reason that we titled this series Future Hope, and I hope that this morning we kind of encapsulate the purpose of these last few months of going through this, because I think Peter's focus um, in both of these books is to get our focus off the here and now of what we're experiencing in everyday life and get it on what's in store for those who run this race well, Amen. There's a future hope for us. There's a purpose in all that you experience here on this earth. We, we don't live for the accolades that we get on this earth. We don't live for a gold star or a medal. We live because we know that there's this future hope to come. Uh, a day when we'll pass from this earth on into eternity and spend eternity worshiping and glorifying Jesus, free from trials, free from sickness, free from disease, free from hurt, free from tears, and free from pain. Amen? What an amazing thing. Like, this is our hope. But that hope does not come without a cost. It literally costs us our life on this earth, where where we deny ourselves, where we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. Life in and of itself, I'm challenged by this, is actually a stewardship issue. You decide how you're going to spend the life that God has granted you. What an amazing thing that God has entrusted the stewardship of your life into your hands to decide what you'll do with what you've been given. And I think in general, that's really Peter, the culmination of his message. What will you do with what you have? It's not all bad. You think the pain and the suffering, everything you're going through is bad. It's actually allowing you to relate to Jesus. It's actually pushing you towards this future hope. There's purpose in it all. How will you spend the life that God's given you? And so we worked our way into 2 Peter, and here's a couple things we took note of. Right after um, writing 1 Peter, Peter then jumps in and he writes 2 Peter. And he writes it with a little bit different focus. Peter says... um, Second Peter, in 2 Peter 1, that his death was imminent and that he was writing some things that they could call to mind after his departure. And so 2 Peter is sort of this series of thoughts and challenges and encouragements of Peter's devoted to encouraging their church in their spiritual maturity and encouraging them to look to the word of God as the remedy for false teaching, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And so Peter repeatedly points to the word of God as the primary means for the growth of the believer. You have to read the word. You have to um, see that as the plumb line, as truth. And he encourages them to uh, acquire the true knowledge of God and live out their faith in all diligence so they may be found by Jesus in peace, we're going to read this today, spotless and blameless. This past year, um, seven months-ish for Heather and I, has been one of the craziest years of our life. We've literally sat with more people that are dying and watched people die in this year than I think ever before in my life. It, It may be a result of being 40 and getting older and people are getting older, 
But it's been weird for us, a very interesting season. You know, yesterday was the, the month anniversary of Heather's mom's passing, and that is just one of them. But we've continued to sit with people that are dying over this last year, and it's been very interesting for us. It's led to some really interesting conversations amongst us and some really interesting conversations with people who are dying and those who are near, to those, near and dear to the people who are dying. And... Um, as I sit with people who are passing away and I listen to them talk, there's something that I've noticed. Nobody on their deathbeds talking about how they wish their career was bigger, right? Nobody on their deathbed is talking about how they wish they made more money or that they had more things. You don't ever hear them say those things. In fact, you never hear them talk about the, the scuff that they had with the person next door, or the issues that they had with their friends. You never hear them talk about how they wish they had more time to fix up their house or buy a new car or acquire anything. You hear them talk about the people they love. You hear them talk about eternity. You hear them talk about the things that actually matter in life. And it's, it, it's made me wonder why we don't spend more time in this life, in conversation and action around the things that actually make a difference in this life. And this is the challenge, I think, that Peter's sending to this church. Why are you focused on the things here when one day they're going to be gone? What will it take for you to focus on the things that have eternal significance? Again, Heather's mom died almost a month, or a month ago yesterday. And we've had many conversations about relational conflict that her mom had and people had um, with them like 20, 30 years ago and how at the end of your life, that stuff just does not matter anymore. Nobody's going, remember you did this or remember you did that, pointing the finger at one another. It's all about like reconciliation. It's about peace. It's about celebrating the life that you've been given. And as you sit with people that are dying, something happens in us that are sitting there observing this life that's about to move on, it changes us. And I've realized as I sit with people and I have these conversations with them that I'm being changed, that I'm being challenged to actually observe my own life. I'm being challenged to process my own issues, to decide for myself how I will spend this life because we will go into eternity in a blip. What will you do with this life here? Have any of you guys ever had an experience in your life where you, it was like near death? Anybody? <laughs> um, has anybody ever done something that literally scared the crap out of them so much that, that, that they started thinking about what was important in life? <laughs> um, I'm, I want to tell a couple stories this morning that some of you have already heard, but I thought were kind of important. Uh, years ago when I was traveling with the skateboard ministry, we were on this, this long tour, and um, just long story short, we were coming down through a mountain pass, and uh, the, we lost all the brakes on this van that we were driving, and we had like 6,000 pounds of ramps being pulled behind it, coming down this really steep mountain pass. And uh, so we had no brakes, and the cruise control was pinned at 90. And... We had eight guys in the van, and if you ever want to hear eight guys pray really hard, just uh, get rid of the brakes in a car coming down a pass and pin that throttle at 90, and guys go into prayer mode that you've never heard before. And 
it was just guys screaming, like, Jesus, like, come, Lord, intervene. But the, the funny part of the story was there was a kid, 18-year-old kid who was an orphan. His, his dad had passed away a few years prior, and his mom died while we were on that tour from brain cancer. And he's sitting in the front seat of that van, and he's been around death. And as we're driving down through this pass, and everybody's freaking out, He's sitting in the passenger seat just saying, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, work together now. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, work together now. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, work together. And I remember like hearing him and laughing, like that's so funny. But it, how significant it was that in a time in his life when we literally didn't know if we were going to make it down this pass and make it out safely, he was calling upon Jesus, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have your way and do your thing. At 16 years old, I was driving back from Lookout Pass down 4th of July Pass there. And um, coming back home, and I had a friend with me in my car, and uh, we hit a patch of black ice and flipped my car three times, and uh, it threw all our snowboard gear all over I-90, and I, I just remember like the minute, I can remember getting sideways on the road, and then the truck taking off and hitting this berm, and just as it went to roll, like, I just kind of blacked out. And when I came to, I just remember hanging upside down in this truck with punk music just blasting in my car. Like, everything else was broken, but the stereo worked fine. You know, like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Uh, and, and we're hanging upside down in the car, and, and somebody came and helped us out. And me and this kid that I was with were totally fine. Like, we walked away unscathed in this accident. Fast forward five years ago. Um, and when you go through something that, like that in your life where there's a significant moment where you literally look death in the face, you start rethinking everything, don't you? Like for that brief blip, nothing else matters. I don't care what my career path is. I don't care how much money I have. I don't care about any of those things. What I care about is what matters. And you start questioning what does matter. I mean, you want to draw near to Jesus to get people on the verge of death, and all of a sudden, Jesus matters in their life, right? And, and so fast forward to five years ago, so 20 years later after this accident, and I'm preaching in Hayden at, at our church, and, um, and I share this, the, the, this uh, story about this accident. And I, I, I pray, walk off the stage, and this couple walks up to me afterwards, and they said, was this in 1995? And I said, yeah. And they said, were you driving a blue truck? Yeah. And they started, like, renaming all these things about the accident, and I'm like, how do you know that? And they said, we're the people that pulled you out of the truck. For 20 years, we've wondered what happened to you. And um, now, I mean, that, that man is an elder at our, we had to make him an elder right away, right? It's like, <laughs> The, it's too significant, man. Like, no, you get the fast pass. Um, no, but I, I went home that night, and they, they emailed me pictures of the accident and me standing by the truck. I mean, it was just so amazing. But, but we have these instances in our life where we literally look death in the face, and all of a sudden we're willing to reassess everything and figure out what the heck is real and what matters and what doesn't. But what happened at 16 for me was like you look death in the face and all of a sudden there's this reality and then you, a week goes by and two weeks go by and a month goes by and all of a sudden you settle right back into the same rhythms that you were in before and the things that 
you were trying to adjust that were supposedly significant, all of a sudden are just on the back burner like they were before, and we just go on with life. And as we read through this text this morning, understand that Peter's on his deathbed. Peter is knowing that his death is imminent, that his life on this earth is almost done, and he's thinking to himself, what are the last things I can say that have any significance and meaning to the church that I'm talking to? He's not telling them, like, get as many Facebook followers as you can because you got to extend your reach. You know what I mean? Like, as many Instagram followers as you can have. Like, you need, to, you need to, like, make your platform bigger. Like, he's not telling them you need to go get a good career and establish yourself and make a lot of money. Like, he's not telling them any of these things. He's boiling it down to a few things that really revolve around this idea that there's this future hope. He's going to say that the, 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 the earth as it is now and the heavens as it is now are going to burn away. And there's going to be this new earth and this new heavens that are established. That there's this hope that lies ahead for a future and eternity when God restores all things back to the garden. Isn't that awesome? That we live in this brief time period here on this earth where things are hard, but it's not forever and it's a blip. And if we could just live this life in such a way that we actually think about what matters and don't get caught up in all the other junk because it's the other junk that causes all the anxiety and the stress that exists in this world today. It's all the other stuff that causes people to, their insecurities to flare and for people to, um, like for greed to take over and for covetousness to take over and lust and all these, it's all these other things that drive these things in us that actually separate us from God. And I think the question the Lord would ask today is, what are you doing with what you have and what matters most today? If you were to look death in the face this afternoon, what matters most? I sat with a man last week last story, who has one to two weeks to live, a guy that we know very, very well. And for two hours, all the guy did was tell me about his story of coming to faith in Jesus. All he did was tell me about all that God has done in his 70 years on this earth. He he encouraged me, he challenged me, and before we left, I asked him, I said, have you written down the things that you want to pass off to the next generation? Because I think you have a lot of wisdom and things to share. And he said, I made a whole hour-long video of these things. You can watch it. And I bet you money that the, the content on that video are not telling people how to build their kingdom on this earth, but reminding them of what it is that's important There's something so freeing about being near to the end of your life and realizing that the cares that you once had can fall aside. And so as we read this text, bear in mind that this is Peter's last words to the church that he loves dearly and that he spent his life serving. Read with me, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. You guys can say a word when you're there. Are you with me? Are you asleep? Do you need a near-death experience this morning? Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. 
Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we're not looking there, right? We're not looking here and now. It says, but according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens. We're looking for new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Anybody ever have a hard time understanding some of the Bible? Which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, because you know this, because you know what's about to happen, because you know where your hope is, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and until the day of eternity, amen? Pretty simple stuff, actually, that he's leaving behind. To encourage them to look at what matters, not what doesn't. To look ahead, to not be led astray by false teachings here and there, but to keep their focus on the word, to know the scriptures, to not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men so that you fall from your own steadfastness. What is Peter worried about? That there's a church that has their focus on the right things and is moving forward, but has the potential of getting off track by the wicked teaching of unprincipled men, the skewing of the scriptures that leads them to actually fall from their steadfastness. And Peter wants to see them hold strong, to continue the journey, to run the race. Have you, have you guys ever heard of the term eschatology before? Okay. For those of you that have not heard that term, eschatology in Christian theology is the dealing of the last things. It's the study of the last things. It takes these two Greek words that mean last and study, and so it's the study of end things. Whether the end of an individual life, whether the end of an age, the end of the world, the, 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 the nature of the kingdom of God, it's the end of things. And everybody in this room has some sort of eschatological view that they've developed. There's something that you believe about what will happen in the end. And if you haven't, if you don't, if you haven't established that, I really encourage you to go search the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about the end, about the last things. Because I, I think this was important to Peter because he understood that your eschatology actually informs your current living. What you believe about the end actually informs how you live now. 
And so there's something Peter finds significance in in actually laying out what's happening in the end, which actually prompts them to live differently now because they know what it is that they're living for. There's a story that I read about um, the, the Alaskan gold rush days, and there was this group of men that had gone out prospecting and had, had worked themselves deep into the middle of, the, uh, into the middle of uh, Alaska, out in the middle of nowhere, and they, they find themselves at this miner's cabin out in the middle of nowhere. And they walk into this little shack, this little cabin, and they find the skeletons of two men holding a bunch of gold. And so on this table next to these two skeletons is actually this note. Uh, And and this letter tells of their success in in finding all of this gold and all of these riches. But but in their eagerness to find all this gold, they didn't pay attention to the onset of winter and how fast winter would actually come on. And so each day they go out, they, they, they found more and more gold. But one morning they wake up to find this snowstorm on them and basically traps them in and there's no hope of escape. And so the, the, their little bunch of food that they had was exhausted. They, they lay down and they die amidst all of this amazing gold that they found. And their error wasn't in finding the gold, but actually in neglecting to provide against the winter that was coming. Imagine these two men. Each day they go out, they keep mining for gold. They talk to each other about all the things that they're going to do with the massive riches that they have and and all the stuff that they're so excited about. Tons of gold that they're finding and all that they're going to do with it once they get back to town with it. All the while, they're actually neglecting to make provisions for the coming winter. And the winter kills them. And everything they found is for naught. It's nothing. And so in in all reality, you could say that these men were completely immature, that they lacked practicality, that they they either lacked discernment about the signs of this approaching winter that was coming, or they lacked the good sense to do something to actually prepare for that winter, but their immaturity actually led to their death. And I think it's similar as to what Pete, who Peter is talking to and what he's saying, that if you're immature, it actually will lead to your death, that all the things that you're reaching for are for naught, and you don't even know what the right things are that you're going after because you don't know what's good and what you should be reaching for because you're not grounded in the Word, and you're not spending time with Jesus, and your walk with Jesus isn't first and foremost in your life. It's about getting all the things you can here and there. All the while, the imminent return of Jesus is coming. And he says in this passage, right, that, that, that he will return, that he will come like a thief in the night, like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And Peter's reminder here is that the day of the Lord, the end of time as we know it will come. It's coming. It's in motion And notice that Peter doesn't get into any of the logistics of how this is going to come about or laying out a timeline for them or making sure that they've got all the logistics figured out. He just simply says, it's going to come like a thief. And it's the same verbiage that Jesus used in talking about his return, same verbiage that Paul uses and reiterates in referring to this return that he will come like a thief in the night. 
But this day will come like a thief, meaning you won't know the time and the hour, but it will come and the heavens will pass away and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. Everything that matters to us will be gone. And this whole analogy of the day of the Lord coming like a thief, it describes it as coming suddenly without any immediate warning because that's how a thief comes, right? (laughs) Does anybody stand outside waiting for the thief to come? I just post up at 3 a.m. on Thursday night because I know that's when the dudes come in and we'll just wait for him to come and do his thing. No, he comes when you least expect it. But there's also the ability in a believer, though you might know, not know the time and the hour, God's given you the ability to discern the season. He's given you the ability to draw near to him and know what's important, that you would be found in peace with Jesus spotless and blameless. But if all you're focused on is what you can attain here and build here and make for yourself here on this earth, how will you be found when Jesus returns? Like the two dead guys trapped in the, in the cabin, skin and bones, holding on to everything that you thought was important when none of it actually mattered at all. Peter goes on to say this. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter's first call to the believers in verse 11 actually concerns their character. It concerns their manner of living, their conduct. And he says, since all these things would be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Like, what a pragmatic question, right? If the things of this world are gonna burn up, how should that affect the way you live your life now? What kind of character and conduct, church, friends, should we have? And so here's three questions that I I kinda wanna leave with you guys today. One, what importance should be placed on the pursuit of material possessions in this life? What difference does it make if you get the big house, the luxury car, the large bank account, the latest gadgets, the fancy china, whatever else strikes your fancy, all of it's gonna burn up. And Jesus already said that if he would provide for our material needs, that he would provide for our material needs if we would seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. So we don't need material possessions for security. Second question, what's the benefit of working your way up the corporate ladder or becoming important in society? Because all of those will end when the earth ends as well. And so I'm not suggesting at all that it's wrong to be in a position of power or influence, but to leverage that and steward that power and influence in such a way that it actually honors Jesus and it points people to him. It doesn't build your own kingdom. It, it says in Colossians 3.2, Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, so that you will be revealed with him in glory. Set on your, mind, your mind on the things above, not the things on earth. Third question, what's the real value of fame to us? Because we live in a world that is grasping for notoriety. If you guys don't see that, 
then open your eyes and get on Instagram and Facebook and see what's actually driving our kids today. Building the largest following they can, the quickest way that they can, so they can have as much influence as possible. Is it worth the effort for us to build these things? Is it worth it? So Peter's call to be holy in conduct, have godly character. It says the present heavens and earth will be destroyed. But verse 13 adds, according to his promise, we're looking for this new heaven and a new earth. How amazing will it be for us, church, to live where sin is vanquished and only righteousness dwells? Is that, won't that be amazing? Is that not crazy to think about? Like, we prepare for it by striving to be holy in conduct and godliness in the present. You do that now. Peter continues in this call to, the, to these believers he's writing to, to be holy in conduct and character in verse 14. And he says, therefore, beloved, since you looked for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, that you be found in him, or by him in peace. You need to be spotless, blameless. Your walk actually does matter. Your behavior does matter. And so often in church, I feel like today, we do throw a grace card a little bit, and we sort of throw out this excuse that it doesn't matter because God's grace abounds, and so my actions do not matter. And I want to challenge you this morning. If my kid kept throwing the grace card in home, in the house, I'd be a little bit ticked off. Like, I do have grace for you, but I also expect you to do what I told you to do. I expect you to be obedient, bud. Not to just be like, oh, dad, have grace for me because I did the wrong thing. Like, how many of you as parents after 100 times would be like, good Lord, like, don't say that again. Just do what I asked you to do. And I don't think God's up there like with this, with this hammer trying to make us do the right things, but I think the challenge for us is, what is it? If you examine your life now, what is it in your life, in your conduct, in your holiness in your character that needs to be refined, that needs to be worked on, that God's challenging you to take a step in a direction, to actually walk away from some things that used to own you, that used to rule you, in order to make him the priority in your life. And, and, and so he goes on, 2 Peter three fifteen through 17, he says, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. Christian maturity for you and I, actually requires understanding. And so Peter begins with this call to understanding the truth, that the Lord's patience is actually necessary for salvation. God actually restrains himself, think about this, and does not hastily revenge the wrongs 
he suffers at the hands of men. Like, we have to consider this and understand that it's actually to our benefit because because of the Lord's patience, we're actually given time to repent. We're given time to be saved, and it's what is necessary for others to have the time to actually come to the realization of who Jesus is. Like, he's actually restraining himself so that droves of people could come to know him. He's actually restraining himself to give some of you in this room who have yet to entrust your lives into his hands time to do so, to repent and turn from your ways and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of your life. What an awesome thing that his patience is salvation. It means salvation to millions. His his patience equals opportunity so Peter calls us to the understanding of what is taught in Scripture. Peter's said several times in this letter that he was not saying anything new, but teaching what he had already been taught by the prophets and the Lord and the apostles. And then here in verse 16, Peter, Peter also affirms that Paul's letters are also part of these holy Scriptures. We need to be students of the Word. We need to know what it says. And at the same time, we should realize that parts of it are difficult for us to understand. Has anybody had a hard time reading a portion of Scripture in the last week? Don't be surprised that it does take some time to actually understand His Word. Peter ends this letter with a statement that covers the the purpose of all creation. And um, he says here at the end, "Um, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and into the day of eternity. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. The glory of God and of his son Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is actually the purpose of God's creation. Like the reason he created you was to worship him to give glory and honor to him. And so the mature follower of Jesus keeps this in mind. What's your purpose on this earth? It's not your giftedness, it's not your talents, it's not all the things that you have to offer this world. Your purpose on this earth is that your life brings worship to Jesus. That your life points others to Jesus. And we have to keep this in mind, that that as we devote our life's purpose to worshiping the Lord, that actually our conduct and our character change. How many of you that have like met Jesus in a real way left that, that, that time, that moment, the same as you entered it? None of us. Like I remember the day that I surrendered my life to Jesus and it was like I knew that I knew that Whatever was happening, whatever he was doing in me would forever mark me the rest of my life that I couldn't go back to the things and the patterns of the past, that he was transforming me. And so Peter ends this this letter, this epistle, in a lot of the same way that he started it, 
He wants us to be mature believers in Jesus. He wants us to live life the way that God meant for us to live it. God has already provided for us all that we need, but we have to do our part as well. We have to believe that what God says and trust him for the future, and that trust is put into practice when we obey him. We should pursue godly character. We should seek to increase our understanding of God through his word and be careful of being deceived by false teachers. And our focus and purpose of life is to glorify God and his son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Notice he says, but grow in grace and knowledge. As we were talking about this in the sermon group this week, we were talking about, like, what does it mean to grow in grace? How do you do that? You ever been in a prayer circle with somebody and they're like, Jesus, just give us more of your grace? Anybody ever heard people say that? Jesus, just give us more of your spirit, more, more of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Well, I want to remind us this morning that he's pretty much given as much as he can. Um, there's no more of his spirit to be had. There's no more of his grace to be experienced. He did everything and beyond what he could to extend as much grace as possible to you, an abounding amount of grace and an abounding amount of his Holy Spirit. And it's less about you trying to figure out how he can give you more. And this morning, it's more about you sitting and going, what in your life has built walls that have kept you from receiving the endless amount of grace that he's offering you? Because there's something about this idea of growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus. I think as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, that we actually grow in the extension of grace to others. As we know him more, our lives become these amazing outlets, these conduits of his grace to the world. You don't need to ask him for more grace. You need to ask him what blockades and walls have been built up in your life that haven't allowed you to receive all that he has for you. He's pouring it out this morning. Would you guys bow your heads with me? I don't know about you guys, but um, there's one particular thing in my own life that as I sat back this week, I could tell it was a wall. It was something that I had began to look at and put a lot of time and energy into that I realized was just a distraction. And these distractions that can come so easily and be so sly. And these distractions, they actually keep us from experiencing the grace that God has for you. These distractions, they actually keep us from extending that grace and love to others. These distractions, they actually keep us from growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And at the end of Peter's life, this is the one thing he cared about that those who profess to be followers of Jesus would continue to grow in their walks with him, that they become mature, grow up. That's a process. But for some of you, even as we're talking this morning, you know that there's areas in your life that Jesus is challenging you to grow up. 
stop looking at what's right in front of you and start looking at your future hope. To stop realizing that what's been thrown up before you is just a mask. It's this diversion from the real thing. And yet Jesus wants you to have access to the real thing this morning. If you're here this morning, God's word is resonating in your heart. I don't know what's going on in you. I don't know what kind of questions you have for the Lord, what you're saying to him right now, what issues have taken over in your life, where distractions have seeped in. I don't know what they are. But if you're here this morning and you acknowledge that there's something in the way, would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? Thank you. Jesus, I lift up those whose hands are up. And God, um, I know that you don't only just see the hands, but you see the hearts in this room. And I pray for these souls, Jesus. As I know that you want nothing less than for their life here on this earth to be marked by Jesus, for their focus to be on things eternal and not things of today and of this earth that will one at one time just burn away. God, I'm praying for those that lifted up their hands and their hearts this morning that you would step in, that you would intercede this morning. God, that you would provide life love, hope, joy, peace, and the ability to walk spotless and blamelessly before Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your bloodshed, for your body broken for us, by which none of this would even be an option. Jesus, thank you for loving enough to lay down, loving us enough to lay down your life so that we may actually find life. And I pray, God, if there's those in this room that do not know what it's like to entrust their life into Jesus' hands, that this morning you meet them in this place, God, as they push their life to the side and hand it over to you and ask that thy will be done. Jesus, I pray that you have your way with your church. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this future hope that we have. We thank you, God, that all the junk that we hear about on TV and we see going on around us in this world right now is just temporary, God, but there's a day coming, an eternity coming, Lord, that will be free from all of that when you will restore all things back to the garden state, Lord, back to the state of peace and unity and joy and love. Jesus, I pray that your church would live now in such a way that we're going somewhere, Lord, but not being caught up in the here and now. May we live in such a way that our, our attention and our focus is on our future hope, God, our eternal life with you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.